Hi, I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And standing by to join me is Matt Sorum. Mm-hmm. And you probably know him from his days with Guns N' Roses, The Cult, Velvet Revolver. But he's here to talk about his new album, Double Talk and Jive. Well, actually, that's your book, right? Double Talk and Jive, two rock and roll stories from the drummer of Guns N' Roses, The Cult, and Velvet Revolver. Yeah, welcome. thank you. Welcome yeah. to the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, you didn't get it completely wrong. There is a record that goes with it, but uh, it's segments of the book done over soundtrack music that I created. So cool. And uh, kind of a random idea from my publisher. He says, hey, Matt, can you can you record a, a bit of a sampler? And I said, you know, like audio? And yeah. Says, he goes, no, I need new music too. I'm like, okay, I'll just knock that <laughs> out. So, <laughs> that's what I did. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. How did you uh, come up with the idea for this new album? Was there something that kind of influenced you along the way? Oh, the you mean the book or the album? The album, and then we'll get to the book. Oh, okay. Um, well, the record is just really a spoken word kind of an idea, and then you know, I used to do a bunch of film scores in between, in between when I left Guns N' Roses and I got back together with the Colt and then Velvet Revolver and kind of went in a circular motion. Mm-hmm. I started scoring films and I did a lot of work um, in like independent films. And then I started doing a lot of like TV music. I got hired by like ESPN and like. Really? I remember one time I did 35 cues. <laughs> For ESPN in 35 hours straight, me and, my buddy, me and two of my buddies stayed up and recorded everything. Oh my God. And in those days, you got paid by the queue, like a buyout, they called it. Yeah. What is a queue, by the way? Is that like a little interstitial little blip? Like if, if you're watching ESPN or something, there's like a yeah. 30 second thing of a guy skateboarding. Yes. That's yes. us. Okay. Yeah. And they, they do that because it's really expensive to license music. So it's easier for them to do like, you know, stuff that just sounds like rock and roll or whatever they want. We do right. it. But anyway, right. So I did, when I did the soundtrack record, I, you know, I had an idea of how to create an emotional musical context. And he's, my publisher uh, is Rare Bird and they sent me a really cool one that Angelica Houston did. Okay. And then another one from a guy named Mark Lanigan, who was, uh, you know, in a band called Screaming Trees, but also worked with Queens of the Stone Age. His was cool. He's got this great voice. He talks really deep. So I I did my version of that, basically. And that comes as a as an extra bonus when you buy the book. You get like a signed edition. You get the, the vinyl record. And that's it's great. On, that's on vinyl. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the process of writing the book. How did you, you know, when did you decide, you know, this was something you really wanted to do? Yeah, I was talked into it, you know, I mean. (laughs) Really? Well, I've always been sort of a storyteller kind of guy. Okay. You know, people would always say, hey, you should write a book. And I used to joke a lot when I was out on the road and I was getting into all kinds of mischief, you know. I say this one's going to be great for the book, you know, and uh probably about 10 years ago i started writing another version of the book with a guy named lawn friend mm-hmm. the editor-in-chief at rip magazine and 
you know, we got it to the the phase of where you get the book sold and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of let it all go. And then I, yeah. I met these two Swedish guys, Leif Erikson and Martin Svensson. And I was like, that's kind of strange, but I thought it was cool because the Swedes speak better English than we do. You they know, do? I, I think they do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, my grandmother used to say, you know, you're, you're ruining the queen's language. <laughs> She's an English lady. Um, so these two gentlemen came out to my house in Palm Springs and we sat for four or five hours, six hour stretches. Me starting from the beginning and just going chronologically through my life. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really interesting cathartic process of sort of kind of rediscovering why things went the way they did. And almost like, yeah, you go through it and you write it and you, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of growth that happens while you do it. There's forgiveness, there's yeah. forgiveness of yourself. There's ways to look at it differently. Yep. Like I did three different edits on the book and each time I, I healed up on certain things. I'm like, I'm not going to say it like that. Yes. Amazing. Really interesting. When you write certain words into context, how powerful one or two words can be. Definitely. Don't say it that way. Take that word out. And then it sounds or bookend it with like, okay, maybe I'm going to talk about somebody who I had a truthful experience with, Mm -hmm. but I want to bookend it with how great they are or why they're great. And maybe for instance, some of my singers had all these interesting sort of character, you know, some people would look at them as flaws, but I looked at them later, much later as a real attribute to their, to their artistry. That's great. And, and as we all know from people that we love as entertainers, they're not perfect people. But oh, no way. They're great entertainers. And from them not being perfect is what makes them great. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, yeah. I mean, look at Robin Williams. Late got Robin a, Williams. I got a story in my book about Robin. I don't really? Know read the whole book, but yeah, very, very early in my in my Hollywood club days, I was a young guy, and I ended up in a club with him, John Belushi, mm-hmm. Angie Bowie. Wow. I, I dropped quaaludes and smoked <laughs> all kinds of stuff with those people that one night. And I remember Robin Williams being this, you know, and I actually did the Jay Leno show with him too, and he was just bigger in life, you know. He was always on, mm-hmm. you know, just like on, and I know it. I know to a very small degree what that feels like. Yes. Like you're on, like, let's say I'm with fans and I'm backstage. Yeah. Like I would say one millionth of a percent of what on Robin Williams was. Right. And you go home and you're like, you're exhausted. Yes. Imagine how he felt. Emotionally, mentally exhausted. Not, it's not the physical effect. It's like, so these great comedians, I know a lot of them Mm -hmm. and uh, that's a whole other animal because think about it too. They're out on the road by themselves most of the time, right? especially when they're coming up. So they're left with that after effect of a show. Mm -hmm. Now what do I do? Right. In my book, you'll see the, the correlation between the traveling entertainer and what happens along the way is you get a high from that audience. You get this adrenal, adrenaline rush 
you know, it opens up that, that, that thing in you that just says, I want more of that. More, yes. More of that. So typically you jump into, you know, alcohol, women, drugs, because it's like this, you've only got an hour and a half up on stage of glory. And then you got another 23, whatever hours, 22 and a half hours. Yep. The day to figure out. What am I going to do now? Yeah. 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 And then when you come home is when the real trouble begins because you're like, what do I do with myself? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Were you you feeling like, go ahead. That's all in the book. That's all in the book. Were you feeling like this? I mean, you were part of two of the biggest albums of Guns N' Roses. Were you feeling like that with that band? Yeah, in the book, it tells why. Yeah, don't give it away. I I think we all did. I think it was like, the machine was bigger than than we could hold on to. It was almost mm-hmm. like always described it as being on the 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 wild ride, the Mr. Toad's wild ride at Disneyland, or even worse, you know, the colossal uh, at um, Magic Mountain. But you were just on it, and it kept going, and you couldn't get off. And uh. it was it was like a so. My pecking order in the band was I'm the drummer. There's nothing I can say that's going to slow this machine down. Mm-hmm. So my deal was um, as a guy who's a Scorpio and fairly a personality, I had no control of my life whatsoever. Whoa. Everybody else was telling me where I was going to be, what I was going to do, where I was going to go, what I was going to play. And I was happy to be there, but it was a weird feeling of like, oh my God. Yes. Um, and it was so big that once the alcohol and the drugs started to sort of take hold of me, I started to lose sight of like the kind of people I wanted to have around me. You know, when you're doing that amount of drugs and alcohol that the ego sets in and then there's sort of self-esteem is in there going like brewing and it's all this weird around. So typically you want people around you to tell you how great you are, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and the you old, need that ego. yeah, the old entertainment thing, we used to call them. Yes. Men. Yes. And that, that happened to me. That happened to me. I was like, I could go like this and someone would just get, do it. And I could go, you know, so that, so that starts to kind of affect your psyche in a way that you like. Yeah. And then when you come out of all of it and it all breaks, and then you're sitting on the curb going, what just happened? What just happened? Yeah. And the real friends show up. Right. That's all yeah. in the book. It's all in That's the book. All in the book. Um, do you want to share a little bit about how you came out of that life into where you are now? I mean, that's, you know, pretty intense to go through drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. Or do you want to let people see it in the book? Well, I mean, it, you know, my, my story is no different than anybody else's story. It just happens to have a bunch of big rock bands in the middle of it but I think it was just um just a life story my book talks about me as a kid dreaming of being a rock star and seeing the Beatles on TV and going to Hollywood right out of high school in the late 70s you know I'm 60 years old now so in 78 I graduated and I was I was in Hollywood in 79 I was already heading up there in the mid 70s from Orange County Mm -hmm. I I remember you saying that last time we talked so I would drive my car and my buddy would go up there. 
wouldn't tell our mom where we were going or whatever. We would like say, hey, I'm going to go stay at Daryl's house. And he'd say he's going to stay at my house. And, and you never got busted. No, my, you know, in those days it felt like so much different with your kids. Yeah, go out, go do, you know, you're like, really? <laughs> like, I have a kid now. I'm like, you're not leaving that. I'm like, go with you every, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, what's that going to be like for you as a dad? Whoa. I just feel so much different. I don't know. Sure. But anyway, um, you know, going up there and everything and then having this dream come true mm-hmm. as a kid aspiring to be a rock and roller, bigger than I expected even. Yeah. Sure. Talks about me being in the cult, which I'm already on a tour bus. I'm on plane arenas. I'm, you know, I, I could afford to buy a nice car, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. What age was this, Matt? Oh, you know, I didn't really make it big till my late 20s. Okay. I had I had a good 10 years in Hollywood of a lot of ups and downs, a lot of like moments, mm-hmm. some record deals, record deals falling apart, you know becoming a session musician, working as, to, as a top 40 musician. But I think it was like, for me, it was like perseverance, you know? And I always say to people, yeah, if you really have a vision and you really believe in it and you don't really have any options, yeah, just keep going. Yes. It, you know, for me, it was keep going because I didn't make it till I was 28, officially make it. Mm-hmm. And in the rock and roll business, that was kind of old. You know, I used to say, that guy's 27, man. He's old. Really? When I was a kid, you know, when right. you were a kid, that was like an adult, old person. True. How old were you when you uh, landed with Guns N' Roses? Were you 28? 29, and Axel paid for my 30th birthday party at Dharma Greb. Wow. Yeah, I was 30, yeah. And then I started touring. I left that band. I was about 36, 37. Mm-hmm. And then I... Got back in the cult. I was probably about 40 years, 39, 40 years old then. And it was like, you know, you start getting like, but now oh. it does now it doesn't matter. Everybody I know, right? Doesn't matter. On the road is old. No. You know, they're like anything that's iconic is older. Look at Mick Jagger. Look at Steven Tyler. I mean Steven Tyler's an animal. Isn't so he? Is, so is Mick. I was 12. I went to camp and I was listening to Aerosmith. I had my little cassettes. Just loved rock. Steven's incredible. And he's still, he's a good friend. I've played with him before. Yeah. And um, he's just got, he's that guy. He was born to do what he does. If you think about the life he's lived, he's never not been a rock star. That's right. Maybe for his early, early teens. Yeah. But his whole life's been being Steven Tyler. What else would you like people to know about your book? Well, I mean, I think it's trials and tribulations of life, the entertainment business, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not the lead guy. I'm not Slash. I'm not Axel, but I'm a guy that lived the whole, the same story from my perspective. You know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to be in some great bands, to have a legacy that's I mean, I've said this many times in the press, but I really look at it like once you get an accolade of a band like Guns N' Roses, that that becomes your tagline for the rest of your life. It's almost like it opens a lot of doors for me in the philanthropic world, in my entrepreneurial world, which I have six companies. Do you really? Yeah. Wow. 
What do you what do you do? I'm big in blockchain, which you've been hearing about. Now it's oh, yeah. main now it's becoming more mainstream, but mm-hmm. I've been in blockchain for almost eight years. Um, I'm on the UCLA uh, Global Business Blockchain Council. I'm the artist and uh, music ambassador. I go to Davos, Switzerland. I speak at the World Economic Forum. It's great. I've been, I've worked with Richard Branson and uh, Sergey Brin from Google. I mean, crazy. Like me, I'm even like, what? <laughs> but but the whole reason I'm there is because of Guns Roses. Yeah. It's, they've invited me because I'm this token rock and roll guy. Yep. That's amazing. Uh, along the way, I've been hired by a company called Storm out of Brazil to be a consultant, to be able to sort of open these doors, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. Because I'm working in music and art, in blockchain, NFTs, cryptocurrency, things like that. My job is to pick up the phone, make calls, speak on panels. You know, I That's do great, that. Matt. And then um, got other businesses and my my charity, Adopt the Arts, which I run. I'm a co-founder of that. So I'm busy. You are. You People are. are like, hey, man, you know, what are you doing? Are you doing a band? I'm like, nah, I kind of did that. I did that. I'm cool. <laughs> I still play, though. I was going to ask. You probably play. With well, I just did Billy Gibbons' record. Just came yeah. out. It's getting rave reviews. Uh, I produced that. And what happened was... About four years ago, when I headed out to the desert, I I was really focusing on my entrepreneurial stuff. It's very exciting because it's it's the same sort of energy as when you do music. It's creative. It's not yeah. different. You're creating something new. You're trying to be successful. And I'm working with all these incredible people that are so intelligent. I'm like, why am I here? They go, well, we like you. <laughs> you know, I have social skills and I can talk to people and and so anyway, I, uh, I moved out to the desert and I wasn't really focused on music that much. And then the Billy, Rec- Billy Gibbons record came around and I, I ended up co-producing it, co-writing it and loved it. And right about that time, I sold my house in my recording studio in LA to keep our house in Palm Springs. Yeah. And I had all this equipment and this guy calls me up and he goes, hey man, I'm building a recording studio in the desert. Can you give me some advice? I don't have any equipment. I'm like, I've got equipment. <laughs> so now we're building a recording studio in Cathedral City made out of an old 1960s church. Just started that project. That is be, so cool. It's going to be awesome. Oh, gonna, my gosh. Matt. Stream from there. We're going to record. I'm going to dive back into that. I'm working with some uh, publishing companies out of Nashville. Um, Amazing. Lots of stuff happening. It's just all sort of like, I'm like, it's no different than when I came to Hollywood. Yeah. I don't get up in the morning and go, I'm going to go to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I go, I'm going to wake up in the morning and see what kind of emails I'm getting. Yeah. And I don't know what's coming next. Well, that's a good feeling. You know, you say yes to different opportunities. You know, and I have a little mailbox money coming in. That's all good. That's really good. Which is a very nice, secure feeling. You bet. Of all the work that I've done yeah. in my life. You know. I want to mention your website, uh, mattsorum.com. You've got clips of the new music video uh, for Billy Gibbons. She's on fire, is out. Um, yeah, just did a million views in less than a month. Whoa. We made that video for 1500 bucks. Really? 
I'm very proud to say that because I produced it. That's a great budget. <laughs> I told Billy, I said, you know, we don't need to spend money doing this anymore. I mean, if you imagine, if you go back and look at Guns N' Roses, yeah. we spent one and a half million dollars in November rain. So when, when we shot this video, we found that girl, the redheaded girl, we found her on Instagram. Okay. She drove out. She was a you know, pretty girl with red hair. We're like, that's perfect. She's on fire. Mm-hmm. And that's Billy's car. And then we had one camera guy and a, and a drone. And we shot the whole video that way. And then we played at this ranch up there called Rimrock Ranch up in uh, Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. And we shot that with one camera and some GoPros. And my buddy edited it. And that's the video. And there it is. Wow. It can be done. It can be done. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it sounds like things have not slowed down for you during the pandemic. Like you're just doing different things and pivoting different projects. You know how it is with this new Zoom virtual experience. I mean, yeah. look at the time you save driving to meet somebody for lunch. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I like it and I don't. I feel like it's changed a lot of things and made a perspective and connected us in different ways. But at the same time, you know, it's not to be denied. I think the world's constantly shifting and morphing. And the interesting part about that was my livelihood doesn't depend on touring anymore. Yes. So when everyone would say, are you bummed out? You can't tour. I'm like, I don't really do that much anymore. Yeah. Especially now that I have a kid, I'm like, you can't get me out of the house. I'm not going anywhere. I was going to ask, first of all, congratulations to you and your wife. Thank you. So exciting. Um, how is life different now that you're a dad? Oh, I love her. She's amazing. I mean, I waited you know, all this time and I mean, people can have whatever opinion they want about it, but the reality is I'm ready to have a kid now. I wasn't ready when I was younger mm-hmm. and I saw a lot of people fail miserably and I was a child of divorce and I never, I never wanted that for my kid. Yeah. I was like, look, if I'm going to have a kid, I got to make sure this stuff is solid. My wife, she's awesome. And we like, there's a pact between us. Ain't, we ain't, nobody's going anywhere. It's great. And the kid came when she was supposed to come and she's absolutely beautiful. And, and I'm like, Mick Jagger just had a kid at 74. So go screw yourself. <laughs> right? I have a little brother that's six years old. My dad's 88. Really? Wow. We adopted a boy. Oh, and he needed a home, man. That's beautiful. You know what? I think for me, it's the right time. You know, I'm. It's actually made me healthier. I quit smoking. I was smoking like a jackass, and right before the baby came, I quit. Good. I gotta live, man. Exactly. And I'm like, if it keeps me healthy and keeps me on my toes, yeah. You know, for the baby, it's more about. As you know, you have kids. Yeah, I do. So it all changes. It's not about you anymore. It's, it's about the not. kid. It's so, not. Like, that just all went out the window. But, exactly. you know, obviously I got to get to work. I got to take care of business. But yeah. I, the kid is number one. Absolutely. And what a great thing you can be around for this, too, for this experience, being a dad. We rented a house in Santa Barbara for three months. We have this amazing, like almost an acre. We have beautiful property where... We made sure there was a street that we could walk the kid every day. That's all we yeah. cared about. We're like, is there trees? Perfect. 
because we were in the, you know, we, we preside, reside in the desert now and it's mm-hmm. 110 degrees out there. Can't yeah. So we split and we said, we're going to nest for three months. Good. That's Good. it. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, I know we have to wrap up because you got to run off to something else, but um, just tell people where they can find your book. It's on uh, Amazon. Where, wherever books. books are sold. Okay. Cool. <laughs> there's a really cool site that I have I'll mention. I'm in the vinyl record business as well. I have a vinyl club called experiencevinyl.com. Okay. I'm an avid vinyl collector. I love records. I still have mine. Check it out. We I have a limited them. edition red album that we're selling only on experience vinyl. Okay. And Very then cool. Rare, Rare Bird is my publisher and it would be on Amazon and all the books. Rare Bird. Okay. And I put all your info on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. One last question. When life was really tough, you were going through different funks, different moments where you were down. What kept you just going and staying positive? Must have been some spiritual presence watching over me. The almighty God, for sure. Yeah, very cool. Somebody's got my back. What'd you say? Somebody's got my back. Yeah, I'll say. (laughs) I'll say. This was great. It was so great talking to you, Matt. Congratulations on your book and your album and everything. Thanks for having me.